You're listening to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a creative entrepreneur, and a wild Mustang tamer. I took a brother home sewing machine. I put it on a $30 Craigslist desk and eventually built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love while generating hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue each year. Now, it's hard for me even to wrap my head around those numbers, and it definitely didn't come easy. But if there's anything that I love doing, it's helping others shorten their learning curve. I'm sharing what I've learned about entrepreneurship and business building as it applies to craft-based work and opening up about what I wish I knew when I first started. I'm sharing every tool, trick, and business process I've learned from costuming celebrities, manufacturing clothing, and selling products so that you can stop questioning your skills and start profiting from your work. So you ready? Let's go. Welcome back. Episode seven, pull the thread podcast. I'm going to go behind the scenes on the four things that I think were the reasons behind my most profitable year ever. Full disclosure, that was not 2020. (laughs) Don't know if you're surprised. To be perfectly honest, as a company, we did 50% more revenue in 2020 than we did the year before. But as far as the net goes, 2019 still stands as the most profitable year in business for me. So um, I actually completely reverse engineered everything that made us successful and profitable. Um, and I've boiled that down into one podcast episode for you. But before we dive into that, I want to take just a brief moment and let you know who this podcast is sponsored by. Me. You're welcome. Yep. Taking the time, doing all the things, uploading, editing, all of that. That's all on me doing it for you. Anyways, there is another thing that I did for you that I just want to let you know really quick exists just in case you haven't discovered it yet. If you go to crystaldouglas.com, my name is spelled with a K. I know it's trippy. Crystaldouglas.com. And you scroll down to the section that says the best things in life are free. There are five freebies for you. That's right, five. (laughs) If you scroll down to the fifth freebie, that is the most recent one that I have created and uploaded. It's called a body measurement sheet. That's a free measurement card detailing all the measurements that you need to create garments for you or your clients. And it's got a little drawing and it tells you exactly where to measure from. So that way later on when you're making something at two o'clock in the morning, you know, the night before it's due, you can last minute refer back to that sheet and you'll know exactly where you measured from to get that point of measure. So click that download now button and it'll land in your inbox. You're welcome. Back to the episode. If you're like me, then you probably always feel like you're just a little bit behind where you wanted to be. You're probably extremely ambitious if you're listening to podcasts and trying to improve yourself and your business. And you're probably always feeling like you've gotten a start way too late. This is why I love the story behind Vera Wang. Now, you probably know Vera as the hardest working, most enduring women in high fashion, being that she is one of the world's most prominent names in bridal design. What you might not know is that Vera actually started out as a figure skater. (laughs) Now, when she didn't make the U.S. Olympic team, Vera ended up going to Friends Seminary and then After that, she transferred out, went into another college, and then she transferred out of that one. She ended up at Sarah Lawrence, and at Sarah Lawrence, she, I believe she graduated in 71, but that was after studying abroad at the University of Paris, and so she graduated with an art history degree, not a fashion degree. Love that. 
Because here's what happens next. With an art history degree, Vera freaking Wang, she gets a job as the youngest editor in the history of Vogue magazine. And the best part about that is she stays for 17 years. So she was hell-bent on learning how to stay and learning what the market could bear and learning what sold and what it took to thrive as a designer in high fashion. You don't serve as an editor at Vogue magazine for 17 years without learning all of those things. And she didn't leave Vogue until she had an offer from Ralph Lauren. So she went to work for Ralph Lauren in-house and she stayed there for a couple years and Ultimately, when she decided to start her own design label, she wasn't, I mean, she, she was 40. She didn't launch her first label as a designer until she was 40 years old. And with, that was a fo- with a focus on bridal wear. So in 1990 was her first boutique and she launched it within the Carlisle Hotel in New York City. And that's what featured her bridal gowns. And obviously since then she's expanded. She now has flagship stores in New York and London and Tokyo and Sydney and all over the place. And I just love Vera's story because it's just such an odd one. And yet in the last 31 years, Vera went from the title of editor to fashion designer worth $650 million. And she didn't start until she was 40. So I really want that to encourage you if you're just getting started on your design journey or you're just now making things to sell. And in that, that brings me to my next point. I want to share the secrets behind what my most profitable year ever was. And hey, nowhere near Vera, probably will not be catching up to her, but I have hashed these out after after reverse engineering what's worked for me. Um, And when I go through seasons of not being profitable or mistakes, it always recenters me. So I know that there's something to these four secrets. So here we go. <laughs> the first one, well, first of all, 2019, I mean, 2019 was the most profitable year. And, and like when I look at everything that I had to get through, what went well, what I didn't, like what I wasted too much time on, I cannot help but boil down the success to these four simple lessons. Number one, first lesson, branding is key. The moment that my language and tone and colors and branded stories and vision all got consistent was the moment that people started saying, I feel like I know her. Let's hire her. I trust her. Because see, everybody wants to jump and bring what they make to market. But if you don't dig in and do the behind the scenes work that nobody sees, there won't be much cohesion for them to see later because You can post things all day, but you've got to have the bones to back it up. When you're first starting out, it's super easy and fun to pick fonts that you like and create graphics um, or just jump to creating reels of you making things or sketching things or adding sections to your website or just popping something out in Canva. But oftentimes what it does is it it, it lacks cohesion um, or the tone is not consistent across your web presence as a whole. And if anything about your business is tough to look at or understand, or it's not believable, no one's going to stick around long enough to ask you, to ask you for your services or to buy from you. 
What I like to do whenever I'm consulting with new designers or people who are putting products out to market that are handmade um, is we start with brand archetypes. So what I would do from the start, look it up. It's called brand archetypes. There was this psychologist named Carl Jung. Um, forever ago, he, I believe he was, he was the one who discovered it, but he discovered archetypes and not long ago, I guess the corporate world had kind of adopted brand archetypes for the sake of company branding. So if you look up brand archetypes, you'll see a wheel and there's a lot of different kinds of archetypes that you can be. The theory is that every hero in every story, every main character is an archetype and the brands in the world that stand out the most are the ones that have a very clear and definitive archetype, okay? Uh, Coca-Cola is the innocent. You'll never see a Coca-Cola commercial that's not innocent. Um, Progressive, Geico, that's two car insurance companies. They're both the jester, and that is not by accident. Apple is the creator. Um, Let me think. I mean, Rolex is the ruler. Uh, Skittles is the jester as well. So you can see this brand come through in, in commercials. You can see it come through in copy and fonts, color palettes, logos, all of that. Okay. And if you spend the time to get really clear on your brand's archetype, it's going to make the path ahead of you in branding this company super easy. It's going to kind of take all of the heavy, the, the guessing and the, the heavy thinking out of it. Cause it's, it's sort of going to automate the process for you. Once you've done that, Then you can spend a day locking in your logo and your color palette and textures and patterns and fonts and a mission statement. And then your brand's guiding principles and the strategy and the brand's vibe. And then all you have to do is commit to it. But for me, I know that things started clicking when I started with my brand's archetype and then I picked a voice and a tone that maintained that archetype. It's also important to note when you do choose color palettes, please use hex codes. Come on. This isn't like, let be, let's, let's get organized here. Save your hex codes. You're going to need them in Canva. You'll probably need them in your website. Just go ahead and create a one sheet. By the way, on that freebie website that I mentioned in the very beginning on crystaldouglas.com, there's a full branding blueprint on there. Another freebie just for you. Yeah, you can do that. And that way you can paste all of your branding onto that one sheet. So that's the first thing I would get really, really clear on branding because that's going to make the path clear for you as you go forward in, uh, in, in marketing. The second thing, social media, while it's important, it's just the handshake in the conversation. It will not do the heavy lifting for you. It is not a platform that you own. If there's no substance to back up your brand elsewhere besides social media, then you are not building a brand or a company and you will have nothing left. If algorithms leave you going sideways, you have built a social media strategy. You are not building a company. Focus equals efforts everywhere by building a website, get an email list, create pillar content on your main touch point, like that website or wherever naturally can hold the bulk of your content on a platform that you own again, then you can pull key points away from that pillar content in ways that best serve your ideal customer in all the places that they are. Like social media is one of them. 
Your email list is one of them. If you too have a podcast, that's one of them. That's one touch point. Your store is another touch point. And then locally in your community and in various Facebook groups, those are all different touch points. But don't rely on social media to do the heavy lifting for your company. It's just the handshake and it's just meant to be an amplifier. It's not meant to be a platform itself, okay? If you think that social media is a platform to get your business out there, you got it wrong. It's just the amplifier. It's just the handshake. And the thing is, it's only going to amplify the content that already exists that it's backing up. The Instagram account with thousands of followers, zero email list, and zero web presence away from social is a tale as old as time. And friend, being popular does not pay the bills. If you truly want to drive profits and get more customers, Get those engaged fans away from social and onto a platform that you own. Some of my worst performing Instagram posts have converted into some of the most profitable projects that I have ever done. Like we're talking like 12 likes on a photo. Let that sink in. The worst of Instagram are my best income producers in real life. Social media is not meant to be your entire business or marketing strategy. It's just the handshake to the relationship with you, which can't happen if it's at the mercy of an algorithm. And now with that being said, what's so funny is even my own social media is not primarily work focused. It's more so several different topics that I feel comfortable sharing with the world. And all of those things, they just show different sides of me. And what it's doing is it's allowing potential future customers to know, like, and trust me. So I would really experiment with that in your own social media profiles. Just view it as the handshake. Um, but case in point, um, there's a, a pretty well-known artist, um, a musician artist, and um, she actually discovered me by following along with my process of taming Sterling, my Mustang. So if you don't know this about me, I adopted a wild Mustang from the Bureau of Land Management like five years ago um, and tamed her, and now she's my best friend. So uh, this artist discovered us because I was posting my journey to taming Sterling the Stang. And this artist also has horses, Tennessee stuff, right? So this artist saw that journey of me getting my butt kicked and becoming best friends with this horse. And she went, that, that, those were the posts that sold her. She said, her, that's my girl. I get her. That's who I want to work for me. So it's funny that a post like that had nothing to do with sewing or fashion or making, but it showed her who I was and who my personality is. And she knew that she could know, like, and trust that personality in her home and in her family and in her work. So just remember, it's just the handshake, you know, showcase who you are and what you can do and let that handshake lead onto another platform that you own. Number three, you need a rock solid estimate process. The moment that I started asking myself, how will I bill for this while I was working was the moment that I took a hard look at all those free services, all those non-billables eating up half of my waking hours. You have two different kinds of hours when you're working on projects with craft-based work. One of those is non-project-based time and another is project-based time. So non-project-based time could be all of the time that you're spending in communication with that client. 
Um, and that has to get factored into every estimate from the top, along with budgeting for surprise expenses or transportation fees like Ubers back and forth, left and right, or valets. It just depends on what the nature of the project is or materials or supplies, notions, even postage, it adds up. I mean, I've spent $700 to get a jacket to a certain venue within 24 hours before, and I've also hopped on planes to get it there for cheaper. Um, spending more time in this area alone will immediately translate to a better ROI. So when it comes to being extremely profitable, this isn't just about jacking your prices up and you know choosing a price out of the sky. I would sit down and I would map out everything that you're spending your time on in order to provide the service to a customer or provide the product that you're trying to sell um, and figure out exactly where all of your time is going because oftentimes we don't factor in time because we're working with our hands uh, or we don't realize that it just took us two hours to find the correct supply needed. So Definitely write out exactly where you're spending your time, how much time is being spent, and then figure out where you can bill for that um, or batch it. Um, like, you know, you can order supplies for all of your clients at the same time or all of your products at the same time, and that'll save you hours in the long run. So that is my advice for uh, number three, just building a rock solid estimate process. Um, and as your skills change, as your services change or your product um, like let's say COVID, everybody's services had to pivot um, or product-wise you might you know, have found yourself making masks. Instead, you have to keep revisiting the estimate process. Don't ever just assume that you've got it all together and you've done it for long enough because the moment that you change your process in the slightest, you're going to find things that you forgot to bill for or just aren't appropriate to bill for anymore. All right, the last one. This is just advice, uh, but serve more than you sell. Gary Vee wrote a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook, um, and it's about serve, 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 and then sell. And I love it because being sold to can be exhausting <laughs> if the seller has not served you yet. See, we actually love being sold to. If you ask somebody to describe their favorite restaurant, they're selling to us, and we love it, Okay. Um, it just kind of depends because it's like if you don't serve your clients in some way before making the ask or pushing a product or advertising to them, then you're actually missing half of the transaction. You got to date them first before you marry them. Okay. So the most successful people in the world have strong compulsions to give. What does that tell you? Not that giving will make you rich, but serving sure will prime your ideal clients to listen better when you do in fact have something for purchase. So rather than always be selling, you should always be serving. Get it stuck in your head to serve and serve as well as you possibly can, even when you have nothing to sell. And if you haven't served nonstop, you have no business selling to your audience. If you skip the serving, you'll lose out on all of the engagement with your offers that you might have gained had you gained their trust first and provided that value before making the ask. I love to put this out in this way, like, okay, this podcast is me serving you. Yeah, so at some point, I'm going to sell to you. And you know what? If you don't buy, that's fine. You tune in next week for the next serve. I'm not offended. You can do that across the board in your content. You can entertain and you can educate and you can inspire 
without ever selling. So by the time you do have something that you'd like to sell, people are going to be primed to buy and they're going to be so grateful of how you've added to their lives that it's a no brainer sale. So these four things have been the jet fuel propelling my business over the last several years. Uh, And like I said, I always revisit them when I'm having a tough month or a tough time because there's always a little bit more light to be gained from those four factors. So I would really encourage you to go over the brand that you've built, look over your estimate process and how you bill for your work or your product, Um, keep your social media in check, just remember that it's just the handshake, and then above all else, don't forget to serve, just serve more than you sell, and I think you'll be surprised at the doors that open in front of you. If you're stuck or you're lost um, or you just want to shorten the learning curve and duplicate some of the success that I found in running a craft-based business, start with those four. Um, If you have any comments or questions about this episode, please don't hesitate to reach out. Shoot me an email or um, find me on social media. It's Crystal Douglas. Again, Crystal with a K. Pretty straightforward. Find me there. Let's start a conversation. Let's talk about it. If, um, yeah, if this has... I encourage you to want to leave a review. I would just be so grateful. That is how people find this podcast is when lots of people review it. So if you are feeling particularly generous today, please don't hesitate to leave a five-star review, five stars only. Um, Yeah, stay tuned for the next episode.